Welcome to the Applied Blockchain Podcast, where blockchain technology and innovation are in the spotlight. My name is Adi Benari, and I'm the founder and CEO of Applied Blockchain, and I'll be your host as we dive into relaxed conversations with industry experts and thought leaders to get their views on what they're building, the Web3 ecosystem and its transformative impact on the modern world. This is Adi Benari, and I'm here at the Starkware Sessions 2023 with David Engel. Hi, David. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Adi. Pleasure. David, this is an incredible conference in Tel Aviv. It's been two days of amazing uh, workshops and sessions by some really interesting people, and it's great to see how the product's coming along as well. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions about the product, but first I'd like to know a bit more about you. Sure. Uh, so my name is Dave Engel. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, first half of my life, Australia, the second half of my life, and now in Tel Aviv. Um, I just moved here with my family. Um, I'm head of business development at Starkware, where I've been here for six months, and before that was doing uh, FinTech and Web3 at AWS, and then a whole bunch of varyingly successful or unsuccessful startups before that. Okay, amazing. And what got you into Web3 in the first place? Um, it was actually a very specific tweet thread um, by um, a, a, a guy who's basically a punk avatar. Um, and he started talking, as I was into fintech already, um, and he actually just talked about how NFTs were going to be the future of finance and about tokenization and about how you could take you know, all of these illiquid assets, um, you know, debt instruments or treasury instruments or things like that, which are low liquidity, let's say, um, and how by tokenizing them, you could actually vastly improve um, the capital efficiency from them, and that like literally just tipped me down the rabbit hole. And then I started reading more and getting into crypto Twitter, and haven't looked back since then. And this was when this was. This would have been like 2019. So uh, I'm far from an OG. I'm, I'm a newcomer, um, yeah. but I'm just unbelievably fortunate to have ended up at a company like Starkware. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Uh, 2019, I guess, is when it kind of reset and then just before it kicked off again. Exactly. Um, I didn't enjoy any of the upside. Right. <laughs> um, what, what drew you to Starkware? Um, so I was at, at, at AWS. My role was basically to identify and help foster the growth of the best fintech and Web3 customers. Um, and I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of Web3 companies um, and ultimately Starkware stood out for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, the it, it, it unlike most, I guess, crypto companies or, or blockchain companies, Starkware really isn't a, a blockchain, a company founded on the premise of it needs a blockchain. It's actually a cryptography company. Um, so it's founded by Eli Ben-Sasson, who's a mathematician uh, from Technion University, and Uri Kolodny, who's a serial entrepreneur. Um, most of the product team and even a lot of people within the engineering team are actually cryptographers first who just found out that the best way to apply their um, practice was using blockchain. So I think that was one thing, just the pedigree um, of the company. Also, the technology that they're building, I really, truly believe that it is the future of, of blockchain. Um, you know, I kind of went through this, this thought process of, you know, do I believe in Web3? Yes. Do I believe that Ethereum is the future of Web3? I do. Do I think that layer two is the way that Ethereum will scale? I do. Do I think that zero knowledge rollups are the future of layer two? I believe that. And do I think that Starkware is the most likely to solve that problem? And kind of every step of the way, um, I got to a yes until, you know, I was like, well, it's just kind of the answer is staring me in the face. Yeah. 
Uh, amazing. We've been following Starkware since, well, we, we were at the previous Starkware sessions in Tel Aviv in 2019. So, so we've been following the project for a while, yes. Um, and Eli obviously invent, invented uh, ZK Starks, so a, a new type of zero knowledge proof as well, which is obviously the foundation for the platform. Um, what do you think, um, or, or I guess, first of all, for, the, for people who are listening who are maybe newer to the space or not as familiar, what, what is a layer two and ZK rollups and kind of give us a little bit high level, how, how does that work and why, why, why do we need it? Sure. So um, let's start with Ethereum. So Ethereum is the most decentralized uh, smart contract blockchain. So let's separate out Bitcoin, which is a blockchain, but doesn't really have smart contracts from Ethereum and most of the other um, blockchains, which enable, which are like smart money. So it's programmable money where you can program if this, then that statements into it. Ethereum is the most decentralized and the largest in terms of overall value. Um, Ethereum has been very deliberate in prioritizing decentralization over scalability. Uh, and so what that means is that anybody can spin up an Ethereum node, which is effectively a replica of the database. Um, but in order for you to have inclusive accountability, which means that anybody can run a node, anybody can run a database, you actually need to make it very, very easy to own a computer or that can actually spin up that node. And so Ethereum makes it very easy to spin up a node, which means you can have like basically a really crappy computer to spin up that node. Um, and then you have about 7,000 nodes right now globally. So it makes it very decentralized. The limiting factor in scalability though, is that a replica of that database or of the block actually has to fit on the crappiest computer in the network. Um, and so what you have is this very, very decentralized network that's limited by how much the crappiest computer in that network can scale. So it doesn't scale. So what you have is this incredibly robust, decentralized, secure blockchain, but that can't actually fulfill the promise of blockchain of being, you know, a global computer, because anytime that you want to run, you know, a very, very large application, say the scale of Visa or MasterCard or, or Facebook um, or anything like that, um, you get transaction congestion, which means that the gas cost or the price of running a transaction jumps up. And so, you know, we saw in 2021 at the peak of the bull market, it cost up to $21 to send to uh, run a transaction, which is fine. If I'm buying a, a, an NFT for a million dollars, then I don't care if it's $21. But if I want to send you $5 to repay you for a coffee and I want to send it in crypto, costing me $21 to send that money, it makes it uh, impossible to scale. Right. So, 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 so I guess one option would be to, to look at another layer one, yep. right? one that maybe is faster, more scalable, scalable than Ethereum. Right? So that's one thing we could do. But another option is to look at a layer two that's tied to Ethereum. Yeah, so, you, so all blockchains are bound by the laws of physics, which is this idea of the blockchain trilemma, right? You have mm -hmm. this, you know, a triangle of security, um, scalability and decentralization, and you can prioritize decentralization and security, or you can prioritize scalability. Um, Ethereum has prioritized uh, decentralization security and other layer, layer ones or other side chains have prioritized scalability. But what you get by prioritizing scalability is effectively a less robust, less secure blockchain. So ultimately, we are betting on the future of Ethereum uh, as being the most successful blockchain. Um, and so by, you know, if you take that as the kind of baseline assumption, then the only logical way to build on blockchain is to build on Ethereum. And the only logical way to scale Ethereum is then to build a layer two. And so what we do is we take care of the scalability side of it. So we use what's called proofs or rollups, 
where rather than settling the actual you know, 10 million transactions, we're settling a proof of those transactions. So we're using cryptography um, to basically say to a 99.99999% uh, certainty and on and on in terms of nines, um, that those transactions are valid. And then we settle that proof onto Ethereum. And so what we're doing is we're taking all of the really intensive compute costs. So running transactions is basically compute power. We're doing those off chain. So we're doing all the transactions off chain. And then we're sending a proof that those transactions are valid on chain. And so we send a proof of those transactions. We send a state update. So we send the new balance on chain. And so what you get is a order of magnitude smaller footprint on Ethereum that still lets people know how much money they have, that still lets people know that the transactions are valid, that still makes sure that they can always withdraw their funds if everything else blows up, as long as Ethereum still exists, they can always withdraw their funds, which is you know, self-custodial. And so what we're doing is we are solving the scalability problem and letting Ethereum take care of the security challenge. Yeah. Amazing. And if I compare this to, again, to other solutions, then another layer one would have to be, let's say, as decentralized as Ethereum to be as secure as Ethereum. Uh, and then if I think about different types of layer twos, there are some that started by running as their own blockchain and maybe putting a hash on the main Ethereum network, but that doesn't really give us proof about what happened on chain. There are what we call optimistic rollups, which run activity, post something to the main network, but then wait until it, or somebody has to call out that there was a problem, otherwise the, the, the transactions just go ahead. So it's incredibly optimistic. Um, and I guess the third category is these zero knowledge rollups which allow you to have the proof on the layer one network, but that with that, you can also bridge up and down uh, to, the, to the layer two. Um, okay, amazing. It's incredible to watch as well. And I can't wait for us to start working with it. Um, thinking about use cases, uh, I know earlier we, there was a session yesterday actually with Visa. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So Visa, um, everybody knows Visa. I don't need to introduce yeah. them. Um, so, v, I mean, basically what Visa's role is, is to move money and, and protect consumers. I think, uh, I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that. Um, but what they are identifying is that blockchain is actually a very good way to move money. And so what Visa wants to understand is how can they actually help to move money, but still giving the same um, guarantees to consumers that they're safe, that their money is safe, that they're not transacting with, transacting with, um, you know, with bad, you know, with, uh, you know, problematic actors or anything like that. Um, and so one of the experiments that they ran is with StarkNet with a technology called account abstraction. A really simple way of thinking about account abstraction is it's, it, it enables a programmable wallet. Um, the way that Ethereum wallets work today or EOA uh, contracts is that I can do a push payment. So if I want to send money, I send, I put in um, ID's um, address and I send them the money and it's A to B. And it's a, it's a, Dumb wallet would be a simple way to put it. What account abstraction does is I can do a programmable wallet. So let's say I, um, I owe money, ID money, but he wants to collect it over five installments over five months. He can actually program the wallet to enable those payments. And as long as I then approve that those payments happen, or I can set up and say, yes, these five payments can happen as long as they're under uh, $100 each transaction, as long as they're only taken out at a certain frequency, and then instead of me pushing those payments, you can enable pull payments. And Visa recognizes that for um, you know crypto to scale to the you know to the scale that they expect, which really is billions of people, 
that you don't just need the rails, you actually need the wallet infrastructure to do it as well. And so their experiment was building pull payments for recurring payments using account abstraction on Starknet. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have Kai Sheffield, who's the head of Visa Crypto, come and speak with us about it yesterday. Right. Very good. And how did you convince them to work on Starkware in the first place? That's an awesome <laughs> question. I didn't, is the short answer. Um, this, is, this is a BD story that I'm going to dine out on for the next 20 years. <laughs> um, we found out that Visa built uh, account abstraction on Starknet after they built it already. Uh, and this is the power of permissionless um, blockchains. You don't actually know, go and need to sign a contract. You don't need to need to know somebody's building. They go ahead and build it. Um, and Visa did just that. Um, they obviously recognized the power of account abstraction on Starknet. They went ahead, they built the solution. They notified us afterwards that they were writing a research paper about it. Um, we said, thank you very much. Uh, they published it. And that was really like the first step of, you know, what is now a, a relationship that we have um, with Visa. Uh, but I think, you know, I think that this is, you know, that permissionless is not unique to Starknet at all. I think this is the power of permissionless blockchains in general is that people can experiment, people can build, people can connect with each other. And I think it's just very encouraging that we're now starting to see enterprises recognize that permissionless public blockchains are actually the right way to go and now actually starting to dedicate resources to it. Right. Amazing. So, so I guess Visa's team, they, a, a bit like us, they kind of did research, looked across to, advi to advise, you know, to, to, to look at what the best technology was out there and chose to do that themselves. Um, so you mentioned enterprises. I guess, you know, we've been in the space for a few, you know, since 2015, we worked with a lot of enterprises. Um, in the first few years, we worked with private blockchains um, and a lot of experiments, a lot of proof of concepts. Then I think crypto really took off. Um, where do you think we are now in terms of enterprises and blockchain and how, is, how does Starkware play a role in that? So enterprises are starting to recognize, as I said, the power of, uh, of public permissionless blockchains. Um, obviously, Ethereum, because it's so decentralized, really is the most secure. Um, and so we're now starting to see a number of experiments being run you know, directly on, uh, on Ethereum. So I think you know, Societe Generale, um, and their work with MakerDAO, where they minted tokens, um, where they basically minted um, uh, mortgage uh, bonds and put, put them directly onto layer one and then uh, put them in MakerDAO would be one good example. Um, but we're seeing more and more of, of enterprises work on, uh, you know, on excuse me, permissionless public blockchains. Um, and they're actually starting to now build tech as opposed to just treating um, crypto as an asset. And I think that's also very encouraging. Um, you know, we very, very firmly believe in blockchain as, you know, a very, very powerful technology. Um, having a token is part of that. Um, you know, that's how you, that's how you make it decentralized. But ultimately, you know, we are, you know, very much believe in blockchain as technology. And we're starting to see institutions do that. I think the Visa example is another really good one um, of them actually coming and building because it was the technology that enabled it. Um, I think another interesting one is that um, JP Morgan with their collaboration with Polygon, um, where they did a effectively did an FX swap um, on Polygon, I think is a good example of moving from crypto as an asset to blockchain as a technology. Um, so those are good examples. I think it still has many, many, many years to go. I mean, you would, you would know this better than I would. Um, I think regulatory clarity is important. Um, I think that people often, you know, there's a crypto for many reasons. Um, there's, you know, reputational risk associated with it. You know, there's obviously regulatory risk. Um, there's technology risk. So I think, you know, banks especially are effectively in the business of risk management and regulators are in the business of making sure that banks adhere to, you know, risk management. 
So while we, you know, firmly believe that it's the future and we're seeing some really interesting green shoots, um, we still have a long way to go. I think, you know, one other point that I'll make is that, you know, you know, starting to talk with you guys who have deep experience in this space, I think is also very helpful because what you then get is you get very strong technology platforms with people who actually know how to build for enterprises. And when you combine those two, I think that's where you actually start to see real projects like that have the chance to make it into production. Yeah. I think what's particularly interesting for us is uh, if we look at private blockchains, they were obviously the, the default choice for enterprises because they, they didn't bring additional risk, right? So the enterprises could work within you know, the boundaries that they normally work in, with the partners they usually work with, and so on. The problem is that they didn't, because they weren't more decentralized, they didn't bring additional security and trust beyond what they could really already do without blockchain. So I think that's, that's kind of the, underly the underlying value of blockchain does come through this extra security that you get through decentralization. So if you undermine that, then you, you know, you're not really making the most of the technology. Um, public blockchains, obviously like Ethereum, uh, are starting to be used. Where I think StarkNet is interesting, and there was a, there's a blog that was published a while ago by StarkNet that talked about layer one, layer two, and layer three. Mm. Where, I mean, do you want to maybe Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, happy to. I mean, so layer one is Ethereum. Layer yep. two is Starknet. Um, layer three is basically the ability to build custom Starknet instances yep. on top of Starknet. Um, so you still get the proving. Uh, you still get the you know the provability. Um, you still get the security of layer one. You get the scalability of of layer two. Um, but it gives you the ability to basically have your own custom instance. Um, and the benefits of that is a few. So one is that it actually is a public permission blockchain. Um, so, you know, so anybody who builds on there can control who comes in and comes out, but you still can access anybody on the public network. You just have to give them permission. Um, and so it's in that way, it's also composable. Uh, the other aspect is that you have the ability to effectively to control the block sizes and therefore you can control the gas fees and ultimately control any congestion risk. So for companies, you know, for a card scheme where they, you know, they're very, very, very thin margins on their transactions. You simply can't afford to have congestion and actually have a, a spike in gas prices because it'll just turn your, your business upside down uh, completely, turn your revenue model upside down. Yeah. And so where we kind of see a really interesting opportunity for layer three is in these businesses that want public Ethereum, want to be able to settle on Ethereum, want layer two scalability, but also want to be able to control their own environment, control their own fee structure. Uh, and then can go ahead and build that way. So we're like, we're super bullish on layer three. And I think, you know, the examples that I gave and some of the conversations that we're having, um, you know, we think that when it comes to market and, um, you know, it's still, it's still a little ways away from actually coming to market, but when it does, um, we think that um, there will be a lot of really interesting use cases and companies that choose to build on layer three. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And we've had conversations ourselves about this. Um, I think that's when it gets really interesting because you can tick those enterprise boxes. Uh, you can have the security, you can host it potentially in the enterprise. Um, you can have all the KYC, AML and all of the kind of ring fencing or controls that you need, all the reporting that you need. Um, but at the same time, and also you don't need um, the sort of private blockchain theater. So you don't need to set up a network for the sake of, sake of setting one up, which is also very difficult mm. and somehow make it decentralized when that's a very, very difficult thing for, to achieve for, for large companies together. Um, so you don't need to do that. 
you, but yet you can actually um, have transactions that roll up to and therefore inherit the security of a public blockchain. And, and you can also bridge to a public blockchain. So if you're creating assets and maybe trading them in this layer three, those assets could, could move up or down the layers That's and, exactly and, right. and be revealed on, to, on the public blockchain as well. Yeah, amazing. So let's, uh, let's watch this space and then hopefully do great things together. Uh, and I want to thank you very much for, for, for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure and thank you for your support. No, we're really excited to work with you guys. I think the work that you've already done has been amazing. Um, you, you really are OGs in this space. Um, so I think having you as part of the StarkNet ecosystem or sort of part of the Starkware ecosystem is very exciting. Yeah. Okay, great, fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Applied Blockchain Podcast. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please let us know by leaving a review and clicking subscribe. Until next time.